Hello and thank you for joining us, lovely listener. How are you doing? You're listening to My Surrogacy Journey, the podcast season two, and we're taking you on a journey of education and surrogacy storytelling. I'm Michael, one of your hosts. And I'm Wes. Hello. Thank you for downloading us again. It's good to be back with you. If you're new here, welcome along. Michael, let's hear about our sponsor. Of course. So season two is sponsored by Hearts and Essex Fertility Centre. And they were established in 1989 and with an outstanding track record have created over a whopping 7,000 babies as a result of their care over the last 34 years. Hearts and Essex Fertility Centre is a leading surrogacy clinic and was awarded Surrogacy Fertility Clinic of the Year in 2018 and 2022. So me and Wes are your hosts today on the My Surrogacy Journey podcast. And this is an episode that I think is going to be really, really useful, Wes, don't you? I do. And I hope you're ready for this episode. It's a meaty one. So we're talking all about fresh versus frozen eggs. And we're going to be joined by the amazing David Agutu and Debbie Evans from Hearts and Essex Fertility Centre. Now, when we're doing our consultations, and certainly when we began our fertility journey back in 2015, I remember the minefield that felt like fresh versus frozen eggs. And what is the done thing or what what was what was more successful and what were the outcomes like? And uh, Wes, just talk a little bit about some of the consultations that you do with people and what are people's views when they stop talking to you about it? Well, I think it's all about understanding the impact of both both of the options. And and there's not a perfect option and there's one that has, you know, more consequences than the other. So it's about understanding how you make those decisions. And I think if anything you get from the, the listening to the podcast today will be a better informed understanding of fresh versus frozen. And that hopefully will allow you to understand all of the components we're making a decision around it. And again, there's no right decision. It's all about what is exactly right for you. Mm -hmm. And we are going to be talking about some of the ratio elements. And also, if you're in a same-sex male relationship and you're splitting that cohort of eggs and what that looks like, and, and therefore what do your ratio or outcomes look like, that's going to be something that I think you're really going to enjoy listening to. I agree. It's all about what you need to consider. Yeah, absolutely. So let's Let's get get to it. (laughs) Let's get our guests here. Hello, Debbie. Hello, David. Hello. How are we? Oh, good. Thanks. Good, good, thank you. Uh, David, as your closest sat next to me, tell everybody a little bit about you, please. Uh, So I'm I'm David Ogutu. I'm a medical director and consultant gynecologist at Hearts and Essex Fertility Centre. Amazing. Thank you, David. And Hearts and Essex are our sponsor. They are our sponsor. It's really apt to have both you and Debbie on this particular episode. Hello, Debbie. Debbie, come on, give us us your, what's your name, where are you from? So I'm Debbie Evans. I'm the Director of Clinical Services at the Hearts and Essex. Um, I've been in the fertility industry for a 26 years now so um, bring a little bit of experience to just the a table. little bit just a little bit my new role is the clinical lead at my surrogacy journey which is something that I will delve more into um, as the year progresses and I depart Hearts and Essex in retirement but we're really happy to have you in both capacities today, today. so thank you for being on the podcast absolutely David tell us firstly please why someone may need donor eggs. Yes, so donor eggs would be required for, of course, for fertility uh, treatment purposes. 
where in, in couples who either do not have eggs, so same-sex male couples will need donor eggs for uh, surrogacy to create embryos for surrogacy treatment. Uh, it could be for women who were either not born with eggs, so things such as Turner syndrome, or uh, women who have run out of eggs either because of premature menopause, uh, cancer treatments, uh, having had surgery to remove ovaries for ovarian cancers. But most common scenario is because of advanced maternal age, so where the woman is older, uh, she's either gone through menopause or she's older, still has eggs, but the eggs are of poorer quality because the eggs are older. So those are the reasons for needing donor eggs. So this particular episode is all about trying to look at the difference between fresh and frozen. Now, David, would you mind giving us a bit of an overview of frozen eggs and then also giving us a bit of an overview of a fresh cycle of embryo creation? And then we can start looking at them in a little bit more detail because I really want to get down under the hood, as they say, of... Uh, do they? <laughs> do they? Under the hood, yeah, yeah of, of kind of the pros and cons because I get asked a lot by intended parents, you know, some people like the frozen option because they're readily available. Some people like, you know, creating embryos via a fresh cycle because there's they don't potentially lose any on the thaw. There's, I think there's lots of anecdotal information and out myths there that we want to try myths. and crack. Here. So I think it would be really good as we have two experts on the couch sat next to us, really to dive down and get into the detail of it so that the listener is really well informed about their donor egg options and they make the most informed decision based on their knowledge and hopefully they're going to get that from this podcast. So David, let's talk about frozen first. Yes, so the first thing is the frozen or fresh, the process of collecting the eggs is exactly the same. So the donors, of course, would have been screened. They've got to be young women uh, they have screening to make sure that there's minimal risk of transferring any genetic conditions to the, the baby, uh, minimize risk of transmission of any viral diseases such as HIV. So the screening process is the same. The only difference is that with the fresh eggs, she would have been stimulated and the eggs donated to be fertilized immediately after the eggs are collected. Now, up until about 15 years ago, the process of freezing eggs, if we had eggs, required was uh, done with a technology called slow freezing. And with slow freezing, there was significant risk of damage to the eggs. So the survival of these eggs was not as good as it is nowadays. Now, over the last 15, 20 years, the, the, the eggs are frozen through uh, a process called vitrification. So this ensures minimal damage to the, to the eggs, a much, much better survival. Over the years, many clinics around the world have used frozen eggs uh, not only as donor eggs, but also frozen eggs from women who've frozen their eggs for later use. And we've got the confidence that the success rates from, from these is equally as good as with fresh eggs. And that's the reason why we now offer frozen eggs as an option, uh, in addition to occasionally fresh eggs. So with the frozen eggs, the, the donor will be stimulated, eggs will be collected. We don't expect all the eggs to be mature, but the vast majority of eggs are going to be mature and it's only the mature eggs that are then frozen using a vitrification process. And once uh, an egg recipient looking to use these uh, eggs uh, comes along, the eggs will be thawed, fertilized with either the partner's sperm or donor sperm as, as is required to then create embryos. Survival rates are very, very good. So it's uh, not always 100%, but it's uh, usually about 95-98% of eggs that are frozen will survive the freeze and thaw process to then be able to be fertilized. 
with the frozen eggs, they would have to be fertilized by something called ICSI. So we cannot, we would not take the risk of IVF, would not mix them together and rely on sperm to swim and fertilize the eggs. We'd have to pick a normal sperm to inject into each egg. And the success rate in terms of the numbers that fertilize, the quality of embryos developed, and the pregnancy rates are the same as we saw with fresh eggs. In our practice at Hudson Essex Fertility Center, where we have been using frozen eggs from a frozen donor egg bank, our success rates are even better than we had with the, with the fresh eggs. Wow. I've learned something already. I didn't realize that when you freeze then eggs to, for to be frozen and, and people to purchase in that way, that they were mature eggs. I just thought all of that collection was then just frozen. I think that's a really important point for you, Lister, to understand that's the first important thing to consider. I, I used to think that frozen eggs were all varying qualities. Did you, Wes? No, I think as over the years and, and as as kind of egg banks are becoming more and more popular because of the vitrification process and becoming more widely used, that, that the success rate is more productive. But one of the things that I was hearing from intended parents was that they were, say, buying six or ten and then when they were going through the thaw they weren't getting that whole number and I think it's really important to be clear about is that you there, there's a potential that you will lose some of those eggs in the thaw process and if you bought 10 you're not potentially going to have 10 to fertilize am I, am I right in that assumption? Uh, it, 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 it is right in the same way with the fresh eggs we may get 10 fresh eggs we don't expect all of them to fertilize so uh, there is, with embryology, which is the process of creating embryos in the lab, there is, we always come from a number of eggs produced. Not all will be mature. It's only the mature ones that can fertilize. Not all will fertilize. And once they fertilize, they would be grown in the lab over a five-day period. And again, not all embryos will make it to, to the blastocyst stage to be transferred. So from an X number of eggs, there's always going to, we we'll expect that in the vast majority of cases, you will have a drop-off in numbers from the number of eggs donated or number of uh, frozen eggs donated or fresh eggs donated to the number of embryos we get. Very rarely or very occasionally we get, you know, five or 10 out of 10. But in many cases from, if on average, if we had 10 eggs, we'd expect to get three good quality blastocysts from that process. Let's talk about costs then and the variances of cost between fresh and frozen. What does that variance look like typically for patients when, when purchasing fresh or frozen eggs? Is it more expensive to buy frozen? Is it is, it, is more expensive? It is more expensive. And is, well, it and depends on where you, where you go to. Obviously, if you're looking to purchase from an egg bank, you need to consider the costs of that egg bank and um, what their charges are. If you're going to the clinic that you're having treatment at, the cost might be less because the egg bank is already in the clinic and they can negotiate prices with you on on, on your needs. Um, but certainly if you go to the egg banks and then have to export into the clinic, it's going to cost you a little bit more. And do the clinics allow export in from egg banks? Within the UK? Yeah, yes. so you so, yeah. If, so if, say, if someone went to a London uh, clinic that had a, a bank, would you allow them to import those eggs into the yeah. clinic? So the HFEA is no jurisdiction in the UK about moving gametes across clinics in the UK from licensed centre to licensed centre and from an egg bank to 
a licensed centre. Because essentially, you know, where you're buying your eggs from, they may not have an established surrogacy programme. You know, you, you know, if you are using donor eggs for surrogacy, then you want to make sure that you are able to move those eggs to a, a centre where they have wherever an established... Or wherever, wherever you want Within to. Within the UK, yeah. Just to mention another thing, uh, you asked about the cost, but in our clinic at Hudson Essex Fertility Centre, the cost of donor eggs, whether fresh or frozen, is, is the same. We don't charge extra for frozen eggs. But we have moved our program, I think our program now is more than 90, 99% uh, frozen eggs because it's much, much easier to coordinate. Mm -hmm, and sure. also as uh, patients coming to uh, looking for donor eggs would be, you know, you'd look at the, of course, you're looking at characteristics that you, you, you'd prefer in terms of, you know, height, weight, eye color, hair color. Based on those characteristics, we'd be able to tell you that we've got a donor that we think meets your characteristics, who already has frozen eggs, and this is the number of frozen eggs you have. So you're, you know you've got a number of frozen eggs, uh, but also the coordination is much easier. With fresh eggs, it sometimes can be difficult because you're looking at two couples, uh, egg donor uh, recipients trying to coordinate those cycles could be difficult. There is lots of unknowns because the egg donor may not produce eggs or may not produce enough eggs, whereas with the frozen eggs, you know that the eggs have been frozen, you're given a specific, you're allocated a specific number of eggs so you know what you're working with as opposed to a donor who may have a very high egg reserve but may not stimulate very well and may not produce as many uh, eggs as you'd expect which makes it difficult to coordinate sometimes. Yeah. And and essentially the eggs are ready to go as well aren't they? That's that's the thing you don't have to go through a process of, of getting it already. One of the things I wanted to talk about really is that when you, if you were looking at uh, frozen eggs versus uh, a donor going through a cycle with the donor eggs you can say I'm going to I can buy X, Y or Z of eggs so you know that those numbers are available when you do choose a fresh cycle using a donor you never know for sure exactly what number eggs that they're going to be retrieved from from that collection. So How many are mature. Yeah, and but it's but it's kind of there's pros and cons on both sides, isn't there? You know, a same sex couple might think, well, actually buying frozen eggs might be more appropriate for us because then we know potentially that we're going to get enough to be able to split. Whereas, depending on the AMH of the donor or what a potential reserve is, you don't know exactly until you do the retrieval what eggs you, your numbers you're going to get and whether that would be enough to split it. Now, you know, as an organisation, we're not pro one or the other. For us, it's it's about making sure everyone understands the process and as the the process is, has improved through vitrification i think i know from hearts and essex particularly that you are developing your own egg bank and it's something that you're going to continue to build correct it's it's it is a difficult one processing a fresh cycle as david alluded to is is really difficult sometimes to, to coordinate and we've had many conversations where we've had to call the recipient and say we didn't get what was expected and it can look fantastic on paper. Your donor's got an amazing AMH. They've got a good antral follicle count. So their ovaries are full of nice stock of follicles. And it looks great on the scan. And you get to egg collection. And those 15 follicles that you've measured correctly um, produce three eggs. And therefore, yeah. you know, you're making those very difficult conversations. We have seen that happen. And, and, and we used to see it happen, which is why we made the conscious decision to revert or not to revert to create an egg bank so that we can have better statistics for our patients going forwards for our recipients and um, intended parents to make sure that they know what they're getting on mm -hmm. that day yeah mm -hmm. and getting a result like that you know where you're expecting you know high teens from a retrieval but actually get like you know two or three or zero it's devastating that's devastating news isn't it and especially if you're splitting the cycle for for two yeah. men to fertilize yeah that's then 
you know, you, you've potentially got an issue of do we go again? Do we choose another donor? Does only one of us fertilise and then we do another cycle? You've then got all of the additional stresses that come with... And cost. And, and we cost. Have, we've got better choices now and because of the introduction of vitrification and the introduction of more egg banks and more choice, better quality choice, we have, the, you know, intended parents and recipients do have options. Going back even only 10 years ago when there was little choice, it was egg sharing predominantly and they were in fresh cycles and so a donor would hopefully be able to produce enough eggs to support both herself having treatment and the recipient but invariably if they if they produced less than six eggs they all went to the donor and the recipient got zero because that was the the realms of how we had to work within our HFEA code of practice to make sure that we weren't manipulating or you know the the donor got the best out of that cycle and the recipients lost out and mm. they were really tough and they weren't they weren't not reg they were regular conversations that we were having yeah um because it was treating with the unknown now we have much better choice and david you mentioned i think in a bit of your opening about how there was no difference in the live birth rates whether they were fresh or frozen eggs is that right Yes, yeah, so the studies all around the world now show there's, there's, there's no difference in success rates in terms of live birth rates between fresh eggs, whether used in, in donation or same of the patient using their own eggs versus frozen eggs. In our experience with our frozen egg bank now, our success rates in terms of ongoing clinical pregnancy rates are much better than what we had with the fresh cycles. Mm. Uh, I don't think it's because the eggs are frozen, but I think it's because with the fresh cycles, there's many scenarios where the you know the IVF is a numbers game. The more eggs you've got, the higher the probability there's a baby in there. So where it, with a frozen cycle, if a donor does not produce enough eggs, then those eggs always, always don't get used or she may stimulate again. And if we produce more eggs from that, you get a bigger batch of eggs from two cycles. Whereas with the frozen cycles, we almost always went with what was available in that cycle because the whole, you know, the recipients as well as the, the donor are committed to go with the cycle. So where a donor produces very few eggs, say only three eggs available, then almost always those eggs will not be donated because they're not enough to donate. So with the frozen egg, with the frozen cycles, uh, it's, uh, I think it, we, we get, you get a minimum of six or eight mature eggs. So eight mature eggs is a minimum. Uh, most cases it's more than that. But these are for us to get eight mature eggs plus. It's a cycle where the stimulation has been appropriate, and we're more likely to get at least some good quality eggs there, capable of producing live, healthy babies. And how does frozen eggs impact the actual donor? Does does it make a difference to their donation cycle? Is it more convenient? Does it impact the donor? It's exactly the same. So the the fresh and the frozen cycles are exactly the same. They're stimulated in exactly the same way and just after egg collection as David said earlier either they're frozen or they continue on to create embryos do you have donors who donate knowing it's going to be they're going to be frozen and banked yes so we have the donors that come because they need IVF treatment themselves and invariably um, the reason and they're in a heterosexual relationship or in they're in a same-sex relationship and they're able to share those eggs so they would have a cycle and either they continue on as a fresh cycle for themselves and half of their eggs are banked and frozen. We have altruistic donors that come that want to altruistically donate and so all of that cohort of eggs would be frozen. And we also have at Hearts and Essex what we call a freeze and share. 
So we have single women generally um, or women who are just not ready to start their family but are considering, um, which is a bit of the campaign that we're focusing on this year, so My Egg's My Future, do I do something about it now? I'm 27, 28 years of age. I've seen about this egg freezing. Should I look into it? I'm not in a relationship yet. I'm not quite ready to start uh, my family, but perhaps I should consider. And then you get the shocks of people that go to have their AMH tests carried mm-hmm. out. Um, you know, we've got a classic example. She was a, a girl that worked with us and she just had a feeling her periods were a bit erratic and she just asked, could she have her AMH tested? It was extremely low. She was 19. And so we supported her and helped her. She's had three cycles, David? Yes. Three cycles of egg freezing to protect her future. And when we when we did her AMH... 18 months later, it had significantly dropped. So the chances of her, even into her mid-20s or late 20s, achieving a pregnancy using her own eggs were really low. And so that was a a great move for her. I mean, I know that they're probably the rarest, but women are educated now. They understand that there is a chance that they can freeze their eggs for their future. And that's what we want to focus on, to give them options. Yes. For, for the donors, we find that by working with a, an egg freezing program, it's also has many advantages for the donor, uh, which is that they don't have to wait to be matched with the recipient. So they'll have their screening tests, and as soon as the screening tests are, are okay, as soon as they're ready, we can stimulate them from the first day of the next cycle and collect the egg. So it's working at the donor's convenience, not yeah. matching the donor and the recipient. It's working independent of independent, the yes. parents. They can go at a time that's convenient, that works with them. Because right. so what we often find with, with some, some of our intended parents is that they're having then to manage their journey around the donors. Yeah. Like some, we have some donors who are teachers and they only, can only donate at a certain time, which then kind of makes the intended parents have to fit into a certain pathway or time frame so that they, you know, they can all achieve what they want to, whereas what I think what I'm hearing is that you know donors who were, do- are freezing, who were donating to freeze they can just get on with it with without having to worry about anyone else it's just around their own time frames yes um just a quick one when fresh eggs are retrieved do you use Ixy for fresh or what would you tend to do before we answer that David just give us an overview of Ixy so ICSI stands for intracytoplasmic sperm injection. So it's a fancy word for picking a normal sperm to inject into an egg to allow fertilization. Where sperm is 100% normal, then we'd normally perform IVF, mix the sperm with the eggs and rely on the sperm to swim in and fertilize the eggs. But if the sperm is suboptimal or where we're using frozen sperm, then we'd perform ICSI, which means where we inject the sperm into the eggs. With frozen eggs, we'd always use ICSI uh, because uh, we don't have the confidence that the fertilization rates with the eggs having been thawed would be the same as with fresh eggs. So that studies have not been done to confirm that. So uh, frozen eggs have traditionally been uh, fertilized by ICSI. Uh, our surrogacy program, we use uh, ICSI exclusively because the, the intending parents would have produce sperm to be frozen and quarantined. So again, when we thaw that sperm, uh, it's going to be relatively sluggish. Of course, given a lot more time, it will pick up in motility, but we don't want to take any risks with the eggs potentially not fertilizing. So to ensure that each egg that's got a baby's name on it gets to fertilize, we'll be picking one normal sperm to inject into each egg to optimize fertilization and and, uh, significantly 
minimize that small risk of of failure to fertilize. And we talked about ICSI and we I hear another term called PICSI. Yes. So PICSI is uh, a more advanced level of of of, of ICSI. So PICSI stands for physiological ICSI. So again with the surrogacy program uh, exclusively we use PICSI which is will put the sperm to through an extra test to enable us to screen out the immature sperm and we'll be then picking the mature sperm to inject into the eggs. But clinically, PICSI should be used in those cases where there's a low proportion of mature sperm, uh, but with surrogacy programs uh, where it's expensive treatment, uh, donor eggs, uh, you know, surrogates have been waiting for a long time for donor eggs, we do that extra step at no extra cost to ensure that we're optimizing the chance of success. Uh, there is very good studies that show that with PICSI, you minimize risk of miscarriage as well because one of the causes of miscarriage is potentially immature sperm fertilizing an egg. So we use PICSI uh, for all wow. surrogacy cases. Okay. It's really interesting actually because like, on these podcasts I learn something every day and like, I'm close to all of this stuff and I, I deal with it most days. Yeah, but really sometimes you, you kind of hear things that you just wouldn't have expected to, to hear. So what we do hear is donor shortages, which is... A bit of a pain for most of us, um, us managing the journeys, you wanting to see these intended parents become parents, and, and I should imagine frustrating from a, a clinic point of view as well. Debbie, why do you think that there are donor shortages, and or is it getting better? So I'm going to do a little bit of a history here. So 2005, there was a big change within uh, the fertility sector where donor anonymity was lifted. And what that means is prior to 2005, if you donated your gametes, you were anonymous and you would have remained anonymous. After 2005, that was lifted, which meant that a child born as a result of donation at the age of 18 and now potentially 16 could access inf identifying information about the donor. Um, so there was a massive campaign back in 2005 to be ready for 2023. And here we are. <laughs> Um, and the HFEA said there would be a big infrastructure in place to support those donor-conceived children and and the donors themselves, counselling and support, and we didn't want that donor-conceived children were suddenly going to be able to knock on doors of their donors. But if they asked the right questions and they went through the HFEA, they would be given identifiable inf information around their donors. So that had a massive impact on donors, both eggs and sperm, who just said, well, we don't want to do that. We don't want to be identifiable. But with education and support and talking to patients coming through the fertility doors, we've turned that around. And I would say particularly in the last 10 years, we've seen a, a big rise in both egg and sperm donors coming back to the clinics because it's for lots of various reasons, but because it's something that they really want to do from an altruistic nature. So we have seen that big influx um, back again, thankfully, because we're all educating our patients coming through the doors. Donation is an incredible thing to be able to do, yeah. whether it's a sperm or an egg. And generally, you know, as we've seen the, the, the difference in our family making, over the, particularly over the last 10 to 15 years, as a same-sex male couple, I'm sure that you would have thought about, okay, we've received an egg, I'm going to give my sperm. Mm -hmm. And we've seen the same with same-sex female couples who receive donor sperm and they willingly think, okay, well, I'll totally. give my egg. So so we've seen an, a big change in family structures which has supported 
the rise again in donation, both egg and sperm. Thank you. That's interesting little uh, history lesson on the HFEA. Uh, David, are there any donor characteristics that are in short supply? Ethnicity, any type, you know, is there a particular group of donors which we need to do more to try and attract those types of donors? Uh, yes. So there's a higher proportion of Caucasian egg donors based on the demographics of the country than for uh, ethnic minorities. So there's certain ethnic minority groups where we don't see that many donors coming through, uh, especially uh, Asian, Afro-Caribbean, Arab donors. We don't have that many of those, but it's changing. With better education, better awareness, we're seeing more donors from ethnic minorities coming to, to donate. But one of the advantages we've seen from the, the frozen egg bank uh, process is in the past, uh, donors would come to us. And for example, if we've got a Chinese donor, and we did not have a Chinese recipient to match them for a fresh cycle, we, that donor may not have donated. But uh, with the frozen egg donation program, where any donor would come in, uh, whatever the characteristics, we don't have to be able to match them with a the recipient immediately. We will collect the eggs donated, uh, to be donated and freeze them. And it may be a year or five years later down the line, the line someone from a rare ethnic minority group uh, may come looking for such donated eggs and we'll have them available. So that one of the advantages we've had with the, with the frozen uh, egg donation program is, again, we can bank from those rare minority groups when they come through uh, and a recipient, when, when they're available, will be able to have access to that. So if someone in a minority group can't find a donor or a frozen donor, frozen eggs in the UK... Could they find a donor frozen eggs outside of the UK and bring those eggs into the UK? Some certain jurisdictions, so within the European Union, uh, there are uh, HFEA arrangements and basically we need to apply for, for certain licenses to confirm that the standards and the, and the laws under which those eggs are donated are the same as the UK and are accepted with the UK. So we do move eggs, sperm, uh, from the US, Australia, New Zealand, from most of Europe, parts of the world that do not have, you know, a legal framework for fertility treatments or a monitoring program, it becomes difficult. Uh, but of course, we have to apply for an HFEA license for each uh, of those uh, scenarios. So it's not as straightforward as getting them in a shipper and moving them over. You have to apply no. for a license uh, to, to have the donation here. Uh, some patients would have a donor. Uh, in a, who lives in a different part, in a, another part of the country, who, if they're able to get a visa to come into the country to have the, the treatment and donate the eggs here, then that's a possibility. So the vast majority of cases mm -hmm. for the ethnic minority groups is they would either travel overseas, create embryos there, or if they've got someone who is able to get a visa to come into the country, donate for them. In terms of getting donor eggs elsewhere and bringing it to the country, it is possible, but you have to apply for a, a specific HFEA license and They've got to do quite a bit of background work to confirm that the jurisdiction, uh, the, the country they're, they're, they're having the eggs collect, collected from and donated from would meet the HFEA, very high standards uh, to accept those uh, eggs to be imported to the, into the country. And it's all about, you know, whether there's commercial egg donation and whether... Compensation. That, the, 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 you know, donor yes. compensation, whether that exceeds the UK compensation limits and all of these things. So it, what I think what we're hearing is it's possible, it's complex, but you have to kind of work through the HFEA to get an exception. Yes. Correct, yeah. 
So, Debbie, we spoke earlier about Hearts and Essex, new campaign, My Eggs, My Future. Tell us a little bit more. So we've been really conscious this year, right from when we had our senior management meeting back at the beginning of the year, we knew that we wanted to drive a focus on to um, freezing eggs. And, and how are we going to do this? And who are we going to attract to do this? I spoke earlier about a very young member of our team that that needed to freeze her eggs. And it really heightened, oh my goodness, we really do need to get this information out there. Are there lots of um, young women that you know, really have got declining AMHs that have no idea that that's even happening. So we have created, we're in the process, it it's, should be re- ready to go in the next couple of weeks, a landing page from our website. We've called it My Eggs, My Future. And it's a focus on, you know, have, have you thought about your fertility? Have you thought about, do you want to create a family? Is it now or is it in the future? There are options for you and lots of information around what AMH is, what does it mean, how do I get that tested, is there any other tests that I need to do, can I get a scan, can I have you know somebody really look at this and how long can I freeze my eggs for. So that really changed a couple of years ago when we used to only have a limit of 10 years. So there was never lots of encouragement about freezing eggs because it was such a short time frame. So but what is um, it now? So it's 55 years. So it's 55 years. So that has completely changed and it's allowing us now to be able to embark on these sort of programs mm-hmm. to get women thinking about their future. And Perfect. it's, you know, 30, 40 years or even more, you know, women just got married, had babies at a young age. They didn't think about their careers and their jobs. And I'm, I'm being really like, you know, shouldn't be speaking about my female <laughs> world in that way but that that was the fact that was the truth and now women have so many options and you know our same sex couples that create families and babies just because they're in a same sex relationship they still have to have a choice and should they be thinking about yeah. preserving their fertility for the future also yes they should and yes we should be providing the education and the means by which they can do that Absolutely. The My Eggs, My Future, pro, it's not only about freezing eggs, but it's uh, about knowing where you stand in terms of this is my age, this is where, am I, with, yeah. I am, where I am with a relationship, this is my egg reserve, this is my options, uh, and I've got a normal egg reserve, I can confidently wait for another four, five, ten years before I think about having babies, or my egg reserve is low, uh, this is what my egg reserve will be in a few years' time. What are my chances of getting pregnant at 37, 38? And based on that information, you know, make an informed choice as to stop contraception and start trying for a baby now or have fertility treatment or freeze eggs or everything is fine. I'll have babies when, when I'm ready. Yeah, it's or, about informed choice, yes. isn't it? Yeah. Knowing all the information and making the right decision about, yeah. you know. And just to back up that whole program, we have consciously made, um, really looked at our cost packages for freezing your eggs and made really good comparable packages that are affordable and that you can access. And if someone wants more information on how they can find that, Debbie, what so do they do? www.heartsandessex.com and if you land on that page, the very front page will direct you directly to the My Eggs, My Future page. Amazing. And I'll put all that in the show notes as well. Thank you, Debbie. So this has been a really insightful episode. If we could look at, you know, best pieces of advice, David... Uh, for anyone needing egg donation, what would what would be your best piece of advice? My best piece of advice is you, the chance of success is the same whether it's fresh or frozen eggs. We've got that confidence now. 
we in our program run a frozen egg bank because it is much more convenient for the donor for the recipient and you know what you 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 you're getting but there are no right and wrong answers because uh, some people may uh, some couples may have a known egg donor or they have a recipient already so they can use fresh eggs and create embryos to 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 transfer uh, but the both options are are available but we've got very high confidence in the frozen eggs it works better for us in terms of uh predictability so our program is more than 90% uh frozen eggs and debbie what about you what would, what would be your best piece of advice to the listener for for people needing donor eggs mm-hmm. don't be too prescriptive really think about the characteristics that you want the the higher level of characteristics that you desire will reduce your chances of finding a donor there you know that perfect donor they are out there but is is that perfect donor there for you you know if you if you're too prescriptive so really think about what you want in a donor what's really important to you and generally if if you're looking for a caucasian um white british then you then you're going to have access if you if you're in an ethnic minority then it's going to be a little bit tougher but don't be too prescriptive I think that's really good advice. I remember when we were choosing our donor for Tallulah and I was thinking, oh, wouldn't it be nice if she could play the piano and and really loved languages and all of these. And I remember Helen was Selena Wilkinson. Um, Shout out to Selena. Uh, and she was working at a particular clinic in Manchester. And I remember looking at me going, no, <laughs> let's just, let's eye colour, hair colour, and we were and then we were like oh okay so we that's sound advice because we had this whole list yeah and look i get some ips who have this list as long as you're i'm of, of and that's fine to have a list because if if that's what they want that's fine but just understand that the longer your list the longer you're probably going to wait and is your list actually are you ever going to find a donor with all exactly. of those characteristics and i say to a lot of people look the perfect donor doesn't exist but the ideal donor for you does and it's all about compromise and what i see and what i experience is that the longer people wait for a donor the more they're prepared to compromise and that's and that's okay you know you've got to you've got to get there yourselves you've got to be able to make a decision that you're going to relax your criteria because you're sick of waiting and that and that's okay too but with a frozen option you probably don't have to wait but it depends how prescriptive you are with your donor. So look, there's. I think. I think the takeaway for me today is that there's. There's lots of different options, but understand those options in their entirety, the pros and the cons, and make a decision that feels right for you. But if you're working with an organisation like My Surrogacy Journey or with a clinic like Hearts and Essex, then talk to them, help them, let them help you make a decision and talk the decisions through so that you are confident in your decision and that you're absolutely sure you're informed i think that's really important it is because i think you know choosing a donor is probably one of the biggest decisions you'll make on this journey and it's one that's going to impact you and your future family for the rest of your life so it's a really life-changing decision what's lovely about any egg donation and surrogacy programs and i hope i'm speaking for most of the country that that offer these programs that they do have key members of staff that are really in tuned into these programs yeah. and they will help That's and support simple. you through you know all of this decision making that you have to do and again you know for somebody that that ran a neck donation program many years ago and just helped develop what we've got at hearts and essex i am tuned in when i see an um, intended couple either for surrogacy or just a recipient couple i i will know 
yes, I've got that donor. I know that's going to work for them because that's the nature of what we do. We love being that that middle person that just puts all of these lovely, yeah. lovely people together to create these lovely families. So it's it's work with work with your team at your clinic totally. or with MSJ. The people that we have working in MSJ now are really tuned in and they know our no neg donors. They'll know who they are and we can, you know, help match in a perfect way. Thank you. Massive shout out to Carolina Hearts and Essex, by the way, who does a tremendous job with matching donors to recipients. Again, another episode where I my head is my head is fried. <laughs> yeah. My head is fried. But I've learned uh, I wasn't aware that Wes said he was aware of this fact. I'm not quite sure I believe him. But the fact that frozen eggs are only frozen mature eggs. I thought it was the entire what was collected was frozen. No, I'm sorry. I, I've I, I don't I actually knew that. believe you. Um, anyway, thank you to our lovely guests for a cracking episode. Yeah, um, so much knowledge there. Totally. And look, the listener, I mean, you're hearing like leading edge uh, information there. You know, sure. you can't get any more current than the information that you've had on this podcast today. So thank you, David. And thank you, Debbie. Thank you for having us. You are very welcome. So don't forget, if you need your podcast fix, we're back every Monday, proudly sponsored by Hearts and Essex Fertility Centre, one of the top performing fertility clinics in the UK and has some of the best success rates in the east of England. If you want to find out more about My Surrogacy Journey, then head over to our website, which is www.mysurrogacyjourney.com or find us on Instagram at official My Surrogacy Journey. If you like this episode, then subscribe to the series and we will have another episode coming out next Monday. Thank you for listening. We have been your My Surrogacy Journey podcast hosts. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.